Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Ordana Osban, here with my friend, Chavruta Ancordin. Our daf today, Masachad Moed Katan, daf Vav, page six. One of the things I'm starting to notice about this Masachad is we're really spending a lot of time in agricultural law. Um, and sort of the thought I had as I was prepping for today's episode is that I think it's because this was sort of the primary activity, right? They lived, you know, basically in an agricultural society. Many people were farmers. And so if there was sort of a go-to activity over Cholomoed, it would be to tend to your farm. Um, so I wonder, or I guess my question is, and maybe somebody will share this when we uh him in Moed Katzen, God willing, in a couple of weeks, what would sort of a modern day Mishnah of Moed Katzen and Gemara look like, right? What are the things today that we try to busy ourselves with or feel we have to busy ourselves with on Cholomoed, uh, which would be very different than, uh, you know, when the Mishnah was written. And so... And we've talked about this before that, you know, there's no uh, bubbly on um, on uh, on the Zraim Seder, but we are sort of getting these little snippets of different parts of Zraim uh, in the Gemara itself in the bubbly. So we saw Shemitah uh, a little while ago, and today we have a passage about Kilayim. Now, it does relate to Chalamoid because it's about, you know, whether or not you can uproot uh, the Mishnah that we you know, talked about the first Mishnah of uh, Moe Katan talked about that you can uproot or the inspectors from the Beitin can uproot Kilayim out of fields on um, on Cholomoid. Uh, and so the Gemara here basically asks a question, right? Do they really go out and uproot the Kilayim on Cholomoid, right? And so they're going to bring a Mishnah from Shkalim. It's the first Mishnah in Shkalim, which those of you who learned Shkalim with us uh, you'll, we learned this in the first episode, right? Perak Aleph Mishnah Aleph, Uraminhu, Ve'echad Ba'adar Mashmim Al Hashkalim Ve'ala Kilayim. On the first of Adar, the Beit Din basically makes the proclamation that they're going to start to collect the half shekel and that also that everybody needs to basically uproot any of their Kilayim that they have in their field. Ba'chamisha Sarbo Karina Tamigila Be'karchim Be'yotzin L'kavetza Trachim and then on the 15th of Adar, they read the Megillah um, in the walled cities. We learned all about that, right? Uh, they go out to clear thorns from the roads to repair city streets. They make sure to measure the mikvah to make sure there's enough water in them. Uh, they tend to public needs. They mark the graves. Um, and they also, they go out to start uprooting uh, the Kilayim. So uh, basically the question here is, well, if they're uprooting the Kilayim on the 15th of Adar, of Adar then why does this why is... need to tell us that we're going to uproot it on Chalamoe, right? You shouldn't, theoretically, it's it's done uh, on Adar. Rabbi Elezer, Rabbi Yossi, Bar Hanina, right? So we have two answers here. One of Rabbi Elezer, one of Rabbi Yossi, Ben Hanina. Chadamar, Kan Bachir, Right? So one says here, meaning that our Mishnah, right, where they, sorry, in the Mishnah where it talks about going out in the 15th of Adar, right, that's the early crop. There, meaning, this is a little confusing because the there is actually the Mishnah Moed Katan, um, is talking about, the Cholomoid one is talking about the late crop. So in other words, which theoretically would be, this probably would refer to Cholomoid Pesach. Um, and the other one's answer is is here, right? When the Mishnah says they go out on the 15th, uh, it's talking about grains that were uh, basically planted in the winter, 
right? And then they grow by Adar. And there, meaning our Mishnah here in Moed Katan, is referring to vegetables, which only would uh, grow later. And that later would that be cup. referring to Cholomoed Sukkot. I'm a Rabbi Asi. I'm a Rabbi Yochanan. So Rabbi Asi said, the Rabbi Yochanan said, Lo shanu ela she'en nitzin nikar, ela nitzan nikar yotzin alehem. So he says, no, they taught basically these court messengers that would go out, you know, from the Beitin to uproot the Kilayim in the middle of Adar was only in a case where the blossom was not yet recognizable. In other words, it wasn't recognizable at an earlier date. So you couldn't really tell whether or not the blossom was from Kilayim. But if the blossom was recognizable, they actually would go out as soon as they recognized that there was Kilayim. And then they would pull it out. So we're seeing a few different opinions. The first two opinions, the one of Rabbi Elazar and Rabbi Yossi Bar Chanina, is basically trying to explain the machloka between this Mishnah and Shkalim and our Mishnah. And it's basically telling you there were different times of the year, depending on different types of crops or vegetables, depending on whose opinion you're holding by, that Kilayim would be uprooted. Now we have this opinion of Rabbi Yossi in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, which is basically saying that the month of Adar one was just when it was recognized that it was Kilayim. But if you, basically, any time that you recognize Kilayim, you don't wait till the 15th of Adar to pull them out. Of course, you should just go ahead and you pull them out. So then the Gemara is asked, so what's different specifically about, you know, this issue about pulling out Kilayim on Chalamoy? I'm a Rabbi Yaakov, I'm a Rabbi Yochanan. Mishum demosli gaban. And I found this to be very interesting. Rabbi Yaakov says in the name of Rabbi Yochanan that it has to do with the wages. In other words, the Beitin, right, this was all done through the would to basically uproot the Kilayim. Now, since on Cholomoed, right, they're generally people are not working. The workers didn't really have a lot of work and therefore they would work for less money. So Cholomoed was a good time for the Beitin to do this because they actually could get cheap labor. Um, I don't know. I was a little bothered by this labor practice. And I wonder today, as a modern reader, you know, what would we think about this particular, uh, you know, uh, labor practice? Although we do see very often that when it comes to uh, anything the the temple had to buy or the court, they sort of always have the upper hand with uh, a purchasing or labor power. And then we have Amar Mishashia. Right, so Rav Zvid says, and some say it's Rav Misharshia, Shmamina ki yahavinan luchuschar mitrumata lishka yahavinan luchu. So they say, learn from this that when we give the workers, we're going to basically, we're paying them from the collection chamber. They get paid from the money that's collected from the machatzira shekel. You're using temple funds basically uh, basically for this. De isaka datech mididihun yahavinan luchu. Right. If you would think that we pay them from theirs, in other words, that the court basically forces the owner of the field, right, uh, where they find the key lime to pay the workers, my nafkalan minhu, kol kama litain luchu, right? What what benefit would we have from basically saving them expense? Like, what would we care if we save the owners of the fields who plant the key limes at expense? There, you know, we would pay the workers however much they want. So he's saying we basically learn from this that it must be that the Beitin paid for it and not actually the owners of the field, which is very interesting. The ad kama, right? So now the Gemara basically wants to ask, how much do you actually have to uproot? When we talk about uprooting, if you have a field planted with kilayim, 
how much do you need to uproot to now say there's no longer key lion here? I'm a Rav Shmuel. Now, I would have thought the answer is you have to uproot all of it, but that's not the answer. I'm a Rav Shmuel Bar Yitzchak, Otash Shanino, Right? So Rav Shmuel Bar Yitzchak says the amount, and this is quoting a Mishnah from Kilayim, right? Perik uh, Bet Mishnah Aleph, right? Is that any seyah of seeds that contains a quarter kav of a different type of seed, right? So it's basically becomes a one in 24th mixture of one type of seed in the main type of seed you have to reduce the other type of seed in the mixture by uprooting the shoot. So in other words, you uproot the, the smaller, the, the, the minority seed there. The Hatanya, and now we have another Brysa here, right, that we're, uh, uh, that we're gonna be asking about, um, right? So now we have a Brysa that says, no, actually you have to, uh, you, what do you do? You actually declare the entire field ownerless, right? Mavkiran, you make it hefker, and that's what you do. You don't actually uproot the key lion. Low kasha. So we say, no, this isn't a kasha. Ka kodam takana, kan la takana. Here in the mission where it says they go out and they uproot the key lion, this is referring to the time before the takana. The price of where it says that the entire field is made hefker is referring to the time after the takana. And what's the takana? Detanya, we learned in Brisa, right? At first, basically, the, the these agents of the bait team would come, they would uproot the kilayim, and they would just feed them basically to the behem, they, to the animals. They would just to the owners of the fields. They would just let them feed their animals with it. Right, and then what happened? The property owners are basically happy for two reasons. One was that they basically, the court did their work for them. They basically uh, weeded their fields for them. And so what I think, one of the things I'm learning here about Kilayim, and Anne, tell me if you understand this the same way. I, I think this whole thing, it's not that people necessarily were purposefully planting uh, their their gardens with Kilayim. Like someone was like, oh, I'm going to plant a field of Kilayim. I think the way that happened, I wonder if there's someone out there who understands farming, seeds got mixed up with each other. Like that's what would happen. So it wasn't uncommon that you could end up with Kilayim, not on purpose, but it was your obligation as the owner to make sure you didn't have any. But if you wait for the bait team to come, that works out well for the owner because then the owner basically lets the bait team take care of it. And what was the other thing they were happy about? Is that they would then feed the Kilayim to their animals so they didn't have to have the hassle of actually feeding their livestock. So in the end, basically the owners didn't take any steps to prevent making sure that there weren't kilayim in their field. Um, and so therefore, <laughs> so then they basically made a takana that when they uprooted the kilayim, they just threw it on the roads, which is basically wasting food, right? <laughs> they still were happy because at least they didn't have to weed their fields. And so finally, they made a very harsh takana, which basically said the fields became ownerless, which basically means that anything that grew there, they weren't uprooting it. Anybody could come and anybody could take anything of the crop that was there. And so ultimately, it basically put the burden back on the, the ballet of Sadeh, like the, the owners of the fields, that they really needed to be responsible to make sure uh, 
that there was no Kilayim. So this whole passage, first of all, I think is interesting. It gave me a new insight into Kilayim that I think there was sort of <clears throat> an accidental Kilayim. Like that was just sort of, you know, seeds blow from field to field and you sort of had to make sure, or maybe the seeds got mixed up. You had to make sure that your field did not have Kilayim. Um, and also just watching this whole tension between the Beitim sort of trying to ensure that these halachot were kept correctly and what was the responsibility of the Baal Sadat. And I think we see that human nature is pretty consistent <laughs> throughout time. And people will always try to, you know, do what's easier for them. And ultimately, the Beitim really needed to make a very harsh takana by saying, we're just going to consider your field hefker if you're not going to be responsible to actually take care of, uh, of the kilayim yourself. So I always thought that it was a matter of accidental kilayim. And then at some point fairly recently, meaning not in the past six months, but at some point fairly recently, I maybe read some book about gardening, something, whatever, in a completely secular context. And I think that there was actually this thing of doing intentional kilayim, let's say, where you plant different things, you know, amongst other things for the sake of maximizing the use of the soil in such a way that it actually might, you know, overtax the soil. I'm not sure, but, um, or at least sometimes it overtaxes the soil. But I'm not saying that these people in our Gemara were doing it intentionally. That much I don't know. But I think that there was, there is a thing of intentional kilayim that is so foreign to us because we learn not to plant kilayim. But I think it's really a thing, like the way gardeners will garden. I mean, farmers even, right? I, I, I don't know that they're planting two crops in one crop field, right? Like in a, in a cash crop kind of way. But in a garden where you have, I don't know, tomato plants and carrots or whatever, right? Where you have some things that are taller and some things that are, you know, spread out more or whatever. Um, I think that there is such a thing as intentional. I mean, I know that there is such a thing as intentional key lime, and I, I'm not sure that it's never discussed here. Right? I think that both both they're prohibited, right? You can't, the question of can you pull out the weeds means you want to avoid them, not weeds. Can you pull out the key means that you're trying to avoid key growing as opposed to um, teaching people not to do this thing that is another another society's normative practice. Um I don't know that that really answered your question. Um, no, but I think, but that... I, I think you know, I, I, it's just interesting to see how all of this works. All right, I think yes. we got two Mishnahs here now in this stuff. We do, we do indeed. And I want to note, right, we're talking about planting and we're talking about Kilayim, and here we're going to talk about the trees. We're recording this at the tail end of Tubishvat, and I felt like, Yardena, here's your nice Nistar of everything, right? Like, you know, when I was looking for today's recording, today's Daf Daf Hey. There was no tree there, but there is now. Rebelezer ben Yaakov Omer, Moshchid etamayim mi'ilan li'ilan. So if you have a field that's filled with trees, right, you can use water, you can pull water from one tree to the next tree, right, and, and water them that way, right, meaning that you can somehow, um, I don't know, I, I can picture like, you know, pipes or, or hoses of irrigation, right? That you have the water coming out and watering each tree. But you cannot water the entirety of the field, meaning that's not a cholamoid practice, right? Because you want to make sure that each tree gets its water. Trees need their water. But if you're doing, you want to make sure that you don't do the whole field because it's cholamoid. And if you have a plant that wasn't, that didn't get watered before the holiday, then you can't water it on a because 
It doesn't even need the water, meaning it was never given the water that it needed beforehand. So it certainly doesn't need the water now. It sounds a little bit to me like too bad for that plant. Um, but um, so all of that steep, all of this Mishnah has been in the name of Rabbi Lezer ben Yaakov. And then Chachamim say, no, you can water in this case, meaning Bazed, the trees, and also, by the way, Bazed, the plants. You can walk, water in both cases and not to worry that, oh my goodness, you didn't water it before the holiday, and now you can't either. Meaning it allows the watering in a way that um, doesn't sound, like this whole long Mishnah says no, and then the tail end, it says actually, yes, yes, you can. And that's, you know, that's the psak. The Gemara goes on to discuss what if, like, how dry is the field? How much does it need water? And presumably, then that becomes a part of the question of whether you're allowed or you're not allowed, right? As compared to um, it being a matter of a regular practice, right? Do you water plants, you know, every Thursday, or do you water plants that the soil has dried and therefore you're going to give them water? And I think that that's, you know, that's part of the discussion of whether what you could do over cholamoid. Um, you know, and it relates to whether you've watered before the Chag. What if you were watered before the Chag and now it's dry anyway? What if you didn't water before the Chag because it wasn't in need and now it is dry, right? So this is the, the discussion that goes on in the Gemara. Now I'm going to jump ahead to the next Mishnah where we leave the trees a little bit. Sadin et So let's say you've got this field of You've got your orchard, right? You've got a field of trees, which I would call an orchard, and you've got a field also of grain, okay? And now you've got animals that run about the fields, right? So the first is ishut. Ishut is moles, and then achbarim is mice. So you want to make sure that they stay away from your vegetation, right? So you trap them. You're going to trap them. That's that's what you do all the time, right? So then what it says here is um, kidarko. Meaning, in the usual manner, you can go ahead and trap them. Sadinotam. You can trap them in the usual way. But mo'edu vashvi'it. Whether it's cholamoid or shvi'it, you can still protect the plants that are already growing um, by continuing to trap the animals that would do them damage, whether it's cholamoid or it's a shmiti year. But Chachamim, and here, as compared to the previous Mishnah, here the Chachamim are more machmir. They say in the orchard with the trees, yeah, you can trap them in the usual way. But once you've got that grain there, where, and then the presumption is here that you're not going to really lose so much money, let's say, if they get, if if the animals get into the crop, into the field of grain, then you have to trap them in a way that is, it says, Shalokadarko. There must be, you know, an unusual manner of trapping them. That still fun- that still functionally traps them, but isn't the usual way. And then you can manage it. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm struck by this idea that the field of grain is not going to be your substantial financial loss in the same way that the trees are. And I feel like, well, that again is always going to depend on your society and what really do you have. We certainly know about such a thing as a cash crop, and where you know, if a family lost its field of wheat, let's say that they were going to the poorhouse, right? It's not. I don't know why Chachamim here feel that the field of green is not is not significant unless perhaps this phrasing specifically means just means like you know for the family as opposed to it being uh, a bigger like i said a, a kind of a crop that you're going to go and sell the mission comes continues right you're allowed to um seal up if there's a an opening and you know an unintended 
break in your wall, let's say, and that's going to be going to be cholamoid. You can seal that up on cholamoid and also on shviit bone kidarko, and you can set that up in the same usual way. Meaning, it's not considered planting; it's not considered anything connected really to the agriculture. Even though what it does is it protects the agriculture, right? But the idea that you're allowed to build this wall. You're allowed to do it because it, you need it for the protection of your, let's say again, against your financial loss, whatever. But there's no, there's no concern that what you're doing is messing with the shmita, let's say, because it's, it has nothing to do with that. Um, it does have to do, I imagine, with you know how much labor, how much labor is involved in terms of being allowed to do it on cholamoid, and how much is it needed to be done again in terms of cholamoid. Um, Okay, I just want to very quickly um, go see the Gemara on the mole. Because if you didn't know what this word meant, Ishut, you would know it from the description. Amar of Yehuda, my Ishut, Amar of Yehuda, what is this creature? Birya she'ein la'inayim. It's a creature that doesn't have eyes. Amar Rav Barshmuel, ve'itim Rav Yemar, Barshal, I don't know his name, Shalamia, my Kara, Kabul, Shablul, Tamas, and we've got a verse that backs this up, right? The same way that there's a snail that will melt and disappear, it will be like the fall of a young, and here, a shet mole that has not seen the sun. Again, it's a creature that doesn't see the sun because it does not have eyes. And I feel like anybody who's read The Wind of the Willows and knows about mole from there, right? Like this idea that he, they don't have eyes is maybe an exaggeration. I don't know the the actual animal that well, right? But um, but certainly this idea that they live in the dark and that they kind of, I don't know, tunnel through your garden or tunnel through your orchard is exactly the image I think that we all might have of moles if we thought about them for any length of time. Um, so then the Gemara goes I'm on done. to... I think I'm done thinking about them. <laughs> you're done thinking. But see, if you know them from the storybooks, then they're not like, there's nothing repulsive about them in that context, right? If you think about them as uh, rodents, then maybe, yeah, sure. Um, a destructive force in your garden. Anyway, it goes on to dis- the Gemara goes on to discuss not only moles and mice, but also ants. You know, how do you destroy an ant hole? And Rabbi Shimon Begamleil says, and I think this is, you know, I think it's almost quaint because I'm not sure that it would be effective against the ants that have on occasion intruded in my house. Maybe afar mi and you, it says, take soil from this ant hole and put it in that ant hole, right? Meaning you'll, and then the ants of the two places are not friends, so they'll fight with each other, and that will take care of your ant problem. And I'm thinking the goop that I buy in the hardware store is much more effective. Wow, more than I needed to know about. Again, <laughs> these were like common problems that popped up that people just sort of, you know, needed to take care of on Chol Moed and you just really couldn't wait a whole week, uh, you know, let's say of Sukkot, you know, of Sukkot and Pesach to, to get around to it. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadra website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank you.